You can make people believe that they are more powerful than they are by telling them that they are, by indoctrinating that idea into their mind. Or you can make them believe that they're dead and have been resurrected by a witch. I'm Paige. And I'm Megan. And this is Spooky Science Sisters. I'm Anne-Marie Kelly. Wild Precious Life is a podcast about dreaming big, digging in and connecting across distance, division, and loss. In each episode, I talk with prize-winning writers, musicians, and wanderers who remind all of us how we can make the most of the time we have. So meet me here. Let's walk and talk and dream and discover what it means to be wild, precious, and brave. Hello, you're listening to Spooky Science Sisters, a podcast where we present to you a science-based and probably very giggly discussion on all things strange and unusual. In this episode, we are talking about the possible biological and anthropological origins of zombies. To do that, we are joined by a special guest, Dr. Rebecca Gibson. Rebecca is a bioanthropologist, which until we quote-unquote, met you on Twitter. I had no idea it was a thing. Um, But, Rebecca, would you like to say hi to our listeners and, I guess, tell them a little bit about what you do? Sure. Hi, everybody. Um, As mentioned, I'm Rebecca Gibson. I'm a biological anthropologist. I got my PhD at American University, where I studied corsets and how they affect women's skeletons, but my research interests have really branched out since then. So I also look at uh, human-robot sexual interaction in science fiction, and I look at the anthropology of the supernatural, specifically zombies, vampires, and Frankenstein. That is amazing. You are just like so much cooler than I am. (laughs) I I literally set out to become the coolest person I could. So thank you. Yeah. Well, I'm like pretty sure that you have achieved it. Uh, And I think um, getting in touch with you via Sarah, who we did the Roanoke episode on, and just learning about how many people do like anthropology or archaeology or science related to spooky stuff just like really made me confront like what have I done with my life like like, I could have been doing this all along um so how did you become interested in those topics or how did you end up in that field Uh, I've always liked bones so I'm a skeletal bioanthropologist I study the human skeleton And I found a way to merge that with my love of fashion in looking at corsets. Um, But really, I've always thought, why limit yourself to one academic pursuit when you could do just about everything? So that's what I did (laughs) with my career. And the, the nice thing is, like, once you start writing and getting more known for writing things, you can publish on whatever you want. So I've now got two published books, one on the corsets, one on the robot sex. And then coming out (laughs) in March, uh, I'm going to have a edited volume published with my editing partner, Dr. Jay Vanderveen. And this one's going to be on the supernatural. And the reason that I got interested in that was um, I graduated from Indiana University, South Bend in 2011. And the semester after I graduated, Jay 
um, gave a senior seminar on the anthropology of zombies. Wow. And I was so pissed because like <laughs> I was I had graduated. Where was my anthropology of zombies? <laughs> yeah. So basically, I, I, I hounded him with friendship until, <laughs> until he agreed to write with me on the anthropology of zombies. So now we have the book coming out. That's amazing. Hounded him with friendship. <laughs> I'm just going to be so... That's sort of my approach so... with people I work with. Like, I'm just going to be friends with you whether you like it or not. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just going to latch on to you and hope this works. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I have determined we are going to be friends and we're going to write together. Yeah. And so like 10 years later, here we are with this this wonderful book. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess... Um, in terms of how you got into it, like what would you say that you, especially now that you're you're teaching um, at the undergrad level, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what would you recommend, like if people were interested in going a similar direction, like what would be a good place to start in for an undergrad degree? Um, definitely anthropology. I'll make mm-hmm. a plug for my own discipline. The good thing about anthropology is you can use it to talk about anything. It's literally the study of humans. So mm-hmm. say you want to study why people throw out some things but keep other things. You can study people's trash or you know why we have this fascination with death and what happens to gender when we die. And that's really the focus of the new book is um, that idea of like, where does gender go after death? What hmm. happens to us? What what happens to who we are when yeah. we die? So huh. anthropology, and then like add something in. Um, yeah, I never did purely anthropology. It was always uh, well, my undergrad degrees are history and philosophy, and anthropology was a minor. But my graduate degrees have been anthropology and gender studies mostly or anthropology mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and biology, like bioanthropology. So just like figure out what really makes you want to get up in the morning and learn more about that. And then start mm-hmm. reading, read all of the things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so we I think we have like, if I look at the the demographics or whatever have who who listens to the show there's like a small subsect of like 18 to 24 so (laughs) to those people who are deciding what they want to do with their lives (laughs) don't make the same mistake i did there's creepy (laughs) things out there (laughs) don't let anybody tell you like don't ever let anybody tell you that your project idea is bad maybe it needs some refinement but I've never seen a really bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, okay. Awesome. We can get into it with something spooky. So Paige, do you want to go first? Uh, yeah. So I don't, didn't have anything spooky happen to me. Um, and this is like not even a little spooky, but it happened like 15 minutes ago. So I had <laughs> to tell it. Um I took my dog out, and for those of you who know my dog, you know she's, like, kind of a spaz, Um, and so I take her out. She does her business. I'm cleaning up her little poops, and something spooks her, so she, like, starts to take off, and her, her leash hits 
the poop bag <laughs> and oh, sends God. one of her turds flying in the air. <laughs> and it hits Great. me in the arm. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> so so that I'm- was... A good start to the evening then. (laughs) Yeah. So that was like, yeah, the intro. That was like the 15 minutes prior to me sitting down was washing my arm after my dog literally threw a turd at me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So nothing spooky, just that. (laughs) What what about you? Did anything spooky happen to you this week? Great. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So mine was just last night and it wasn't anything spooky that happened to me but i've apparently become the thing that is spooky (laughs) (laughs) last night i don't know what happened it must have been like all the junk food i ate over the weekend or something but i was asleep and dreaming and i literally woke myself up screaming because something scared me in my dream and so i scared the crap out of my husband (laughs) so in my like half awake state after that I wrote down some notes because I was like I gotta remember what I know about this dream right now and then I looked at them in the morning and was like what happened last night (laughs) so uh yeah so it had something to do with being some sort of top secret scientist uh, maybe specifically a Soviet scientist. It's unclear. Uh, but there was some sort of secret messaging or like tracking going on through the radio. <laughs> and then someone was after me. And then I was under some sort of like witness protection thing and in some sort of weird bunker. But then I got like captured and Paige's dog was there. And... <laughs> I was like drugged at one point and like couldn't move, but was like figured out the person was in the bunker with me. So I was like trying to move myself and, and I don't know, get their attention or do something. And then they were walking away and heard me and then like came back really suddenly. And that's what scared me and made me scream and wake myself up. So it was like some sort of borderline sleep paralysis thing. (laughs) It's not great. (laughs) So anyway, welcome to our podcast, Rebecca. We are a disaster. (laughs) Oh, good. I'll fit right in. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's like a combination of like, we just talked about Love Pass, so I've got Soviets on the brain. Oh, heavens, We've been watching WandaVision, so that is also, yeah, sort of Russia-related, right? Are they from Russia, Paige? She is. Yeah, she is. Uh, so that's sort of related. And then I'm I'm unclear where the rest of it came from. But either way, I think I almost gave my husband a heart attack. So <laughs> anyway, uh, Rebecca, has anything spooky happened to you recently? Do sudden spiders count? Because... Uh, yes. Okay. So I was uh, two nights ago, I was watching Blade Runner 2049 which is an excellent movie and also one of the things that I wrote about in my first book. And I was, I was almost asleep. I was like getting to the point where I was so drowsy. I was going to turn it off and go to sleep. Mm -hmm. And I saw something flickering. There's like a lot of things that flicker in the movie anyway. And I didn't realize at first what it was, but no, there was a spider on my bedding 
walking directly at my face. Oh, no. (laughs) And like all of a sudden I was wide awake. (laughs) Wide fucking awake. No, no sleepiness left. Sudden spider. Oh, no. Did you like capture him or anything? Or was he just still floating around your room the rest of the night? Um, sorry for any listeners out there who object to this, but I'm a spider killer. I, I do oh. not, I do not truck <laughs> with spiders. So I gished him. Like, he's, he has been made one with the bed sheets. <laughs> I, I'm a, I'm a catch and releaser. Oh, are you really? Oh, yeah. Oh, I just I don't- kill spiders. You know, I've heard that it's either spiders or snakes, and for me, I'm I'm good with snakes, and I'm not good with spiders, which, okay. like, I own a snake, so I kind of have to be good with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, yeah, I don't know if I want snakes in my house, like, wild snakes in my no. house. I'm fine no, with no. snakes as pets, but... <laughs> <laughs> yes, that distinction is a good one. In cages, good. Out of cages, not quite so good. <laughs> yeah. Although my yeah, we 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 won't go too far into it. My my nightmare in my house is something that doesn't make any sense. I'm like fucking terrified of crickets. <laughs> I hate them. So I forgot much. about that. Okay, well that's a new one. <laughs> crickets and house centipedes are like I house, was Oh god, house them. centipedes I'll give you. Those are ugh. Yeah. Oh, they're kind of sweet. No, they're not. Ugh, they're disgusting. <laughs> I, ca- I, I catch and release those too. <laughs> oh my god! You here? Yeah, you need to like go live in New Mexico or something where the centipedes are like. Six I was gonna say, long. oh, which is hot in the forest, but New Mexico. Yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, no! Anyway, <laughs> enough about my bug fears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we don't even want to talk about my bug fears. We'll be here all oh. night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's bed bugs. It's bed bugs. <laughs> okay, uh, so we can jump into zombies. Yay! I'm very excited. I <laughs> took a lot of notes today, so we're going to try and be efficient, but I make no promises. <laughs> um, so, Paige, do you want to get us started? With sort of like zombie or the origins of zombie stories, yeah, and like sure. A cultural slash, I don't know, Rebecca, you're gonna have to help us because we have yeah. no idea. Absolutely. Basically, <laughs> I have like a short intro, and then I'm hoping you can kind of help. Uh, <laughs> um, Considering so, you just wrote a book about them, we feel good about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so according to pop culture. As I'm sure most of our listeners know, um, zombies are, you know, usually very strong. They're the awakened dead who have this ravenous appetite. And they are this way because they've been bitten by a different zombie that was infected with this this zombie virus. And their, their main mission is basically just to feed. Ancient Greeks may have been the first civilization to kind of fear the undead. Though it wasn't necessarily zombies specifically. Uh, It's just that when we went back and looked at some of the ancient graves, there was a lot of skeletons that had like rocks or other heavy objects on top of them. And so I guess the assumption there is that they were afraid that 
the dead would rise. But specifically with zombies, it seems that they likely originated in Haiti in like the 17th century. And this is kind of where I'm hoping you can step in a little bit, Rebecca, because I read several different articles kind of about the stories and the folklore about zombies. And I kind of got like different information from each of the sources that I looked at Mm -hmm. about like where they really originated or like how they originated, where the stories came from. So what we consider zombies, brainless, shambling, you know, walking dead who are hungry and feed on people are sort of an amalgam of many different cultural traditions. And the idea basically has African and Afro-Caribbean origins. Um, For anthropology, you're looking at Zora Neale Hurston, who was herself a Black anthropologist and who did uh, work in Haiti, talking to uh, the Haitians about their cultural conception of a zombie. And the thing was, they weren't, strictly speaking, undead in the way that we think of zombies now as undead, as in having died an actual physical death and come back from the dead and now rotting in bodies um, without any type of of, uh, ability to do anything productive. You know, our zombies are just like eating monsters. They're after your brains or (laughs) any other part that that you can get your hands on. I love zombie puns. They're so fun. Um, <laughs> some friends of mine and I in the in a group chat were actually thinking of a whole bunch of zombie puns that I could do if I sort of ran my sentences off the rails in this podcast. So excellent. I'll, uh, I'll give those to you later if I if I miss some beats. But we're here so, for it. <laughs> so the cultural zombies are. It's more about discipline and control. It's about. Um, social censure and about social control over people who have either uh, done wrong and are being punished or people who have um, who have fallen astray of a practitioner of this type of magical um, magical treatment so when uh, we're looking at anthropological zombies or physical zombies what we're looking at are people who have either been, whose minds have been influenced or who've been drugged. And mm. Hurston you know, got some of the powder that was used and there were analyses done. I don't think they were done by her, but they have been analyses done of the powder that was used. Um, and of course, this is not universal. Um, not every case of somebody being seen to be a zombie has this type of origin or has this type of drug being used. But there are some instances where things like tetrodotoxin um, Hmm. has been used to lower people's metabolic rates, make them more suggestible, more controllable. And in several zombie origin stories, at least, these, uh, these people were then put to work So Hmm. the person who put them under the zombie spell or who drugged them or who turned them into zombies would then, you know, make them work for them, make them work in the fields, make them um, do productive things and had them under their control. I had read, um, that's, that's primarily kind of what I had read about. And in several of the articles, they suggest that, did you say it was tetra? 
tetrodotoxin. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that. <laughs> um, that after that, they would actually bury them alive, and then like a couple days later, Resurrect dig them back them. up. Did yes, that, indeed. Did that actually happen? Mm. So uh, I, I'm actually, I'm on slightly shaky ground here. My uh, knowledge is much more on the fictional side of things. But I wouldn't doubt that that would have happened with some of the cases. It okay. gives you a massive psychological boost hmm. because then the person believes themselves to be dead and resurrected. After all, they've been buried. Yeah, that's crazy. Great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, and like I said, I had I had kind of I had read some of that. Um, but like I said, every every article I read had like slightly different information or it was unclear to me if it was things that were like actually happening or if it was just stories and, you know, myths that had just. Stories and myths and beliefs and, you know, things that go bump in the night, things that you use to scare people so that they do what they're supposed to do. Um, cultural conditioning or the way in which people do things in their cultures, the, the habits they form, the things that are considered normal in their cultures, are incredibly powerful ways of control and ways of making sure that we don't step outside those cultures. So if you have a culture that is heavily influenced by uh, a certain type of you know, religious experience, a ritual experience, then that ritual experience can be used to, you know, control people either for good aspects or for bad aspects. So, you know, you can make people believe that they are more powerful than they are by telling them that they are, by indoctrinating that idea into their mind. Or you can make them believe that they're dead and have been resurrected by a witch. And... <laughs> You know, if they if they want to exist at all, if they want to continue existing, then they have to do your bidding. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really learning things because I didn't read anything about that. <laughs> um, yeah, well, and I guess maybe I took a couple notes about this from various podcasts I had listened to, and this was quite a while ago, but maybe this is more on like the fictional side of things uh in terms of of zombie stories and them becoming more popular but this was from the folklore podcast and they had talked about or one of their guests had talked about how perhaps the popularity of zombies or kind of that like imagery associated with them in terms of rotting flesh may be related to some like cultural inability at least in the western world that we have trouble dealing with death or it's something that we're really afraid of and especially like as people became less religious then and like less unsure of like what happens to your you know or do you have some immortal soul or whatever it's like they had to worry about like what happens to me what happens to my body after I'm dead so I don't know if you can speak to that at all. Oh, absolutely. And in fact, you can tie different eras of zombie fiction to different fears regarding how we're going to die or what happens when we die or anything like mm -hmm. that. Like if you look at the early ones, if you look at um, Romero's zombies, 
Yeah. You're seeing the cultural fears of the time period. We're looking at mm-hmm. the zombies of the Cold War. Mm-hmm. We're looking at, you know, the 70s. If we're looking um, at 28 Days Later or any of the zombie movies that look at contagion, mm-hmm. um, we're looking at the AIDS panic. So mm-hmm. we're looking at viral zombies. Yeah. If you're looking at, you know, things closer to now, we're looking at uh, things that reflect 9-11 or attack from the outside. You see yeah. that specifically in the one that, that Jay and I have written about for our chapter in the book. Um, we look at the the book World War Z. Yeah. And... The interesting thing is, World War Z is this is this wonderful combination of a lot of different zombie tropes. Um, have you guys read the book? I mean, even if you have, maybe your listeners haven't. So yeah, I have only seen the movie. My husband has read the book. He said it's very different and it's very good. <laughs> extremely yeah. different and yeah, extremely good. So I've yeah. also only seen the movie, <laughs> which I thought the movie was pretty good too. But yeah, <laughs> but I, I liked should it. read the book. <laughs> you should you should read the book because the book is just spectacular. So there are forty four individual voices in the book, and the author. Um, Max Brooks, he keeps all of the individual voices. So you never have characters that sound like each other. He's okay. a, a fantastic writer. And in this book, we have this mix of contagion based zombies mm-hmm. with a really excellent sort of socio political take on a lot of human nature and a lot of different like ways government responds to things. This one's particularly fascinating because Mm -hmm. of what we're going through right now. This book, (laughs) like two months in to 2020, I was like, damn it, World War Z predicted COVID. Oh, no. (laughs) Like directly (laughs) predicted the response to COVID. Yeah. I mean, we wonder, like, why a person who was bitten by a zombie would ever hide oh, it. Oh, no. And then we have this. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think I, I forgot to put that, just that thought in our notes. But it was like, <laughs> I always used to watch zombie stuff and think, <laughs> that's so unrealistic. Like, why wouldn't someone own up to it? <laughs> it's like, yeah. nope. No. We're a bunch of assholes. <laughs> We're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we are. And then to, to <laughs> quote the um, the unparalleled Jenny Nicholson, who has a really great YouTube channel, um, she did a she had a tweet a couple of months back that basically said that we can no longer say avoid people like the plague because it turns out people do not <laughs> avoid the plague. <laughs> so they're like they're walking face first into the zombies, and you get a lot of that. In yeah. World War Z, where yeah. a lot a lot of the storylines in the book um, really focus on this idea of American exceptionalism, yeah, and how we're going to defeat this as though oh, a plague no. of zombies, or in this case, a literal plague, is uh-huh. something that you can actually like punch in the face. <laughs> oh, it's too real! It's too real. <laughs> it really is. But like I'm as we speak, I'm like adding it to my Amazon cart. So 
<laughs> I, I bought the book one night in uh, DuPont Circle. There's a bookstore called Kramer Books and Afterwards, DuPont Circle yeah. in, in Washington, D.C. And uh, I was there on what was supposed to be a date and I got mm-hmm. stood up. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> but it's a bookstore that serves alcohol. Like, how can you be unhappy there? Yeah. So, <laughs> That's like living the dream. <laughs> so I bought myself a book, World War Z, and I bought myself a cocktail. And then I immediately called or, well, wrote to Jay and I was like, we need to write about this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then <laughs> little did we know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, although, like, I'm sort of okay. <laughs> this is going to come up multiple times this episode. <laughs> zero (laughs) percent just putting this out there before i say this zero percent do i think that anything to do with coronavirus is like some sort of conspiracy oh god no (laughs) that said (laughs) 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 the netflix documentary series that was called pandemic yeah yeah pandemic pandemic (laughs) yeah came out in like january of 2020 and i remember watching it with my husband and thinking like and and being really freaked out by it like this is terrible we're not prepared like what is gonna happen and then it was like (laughs) two months later everything but that movie that like high um a-list movie contagion came out at about the same time yes yeah and we watched that early on in the pandemic and that was a real mistake so did we <laughs> do you know how many movies there are called contagion no. it's ridiculous there's a lot there are tons but yeah it was just like i thought that i i think i i saw it mentioned again recently and i was like that was i was like was that at the beginning of the of the actual pandemic or was that earlier because that was just uncanny timing you know when I it bet, came out i bet they might have made that because of ebola yes you're probably right and i think the, they specifically mentioned they had a bunch about the ebola yeah. stuff in it right because yeah. it was just coming off a big ebola outbreak which yeah god you're totally right like speaking of of bad ways to die yeah. yeah it's not great i should again you'll notice on this show we giggle a lot but it's only because we're very uncomfortable <laughs> oh, I, no i get that that we're talking about i just <laughs> we don't find any of this funny <laughs> I, i'm totally comfortable with the idea of death and the knowledge that i'm gonna die someday and like i've i've handled hundreds of human skeletons wow. and like all of that is is great, but it, you have to. First of all, you have to keep a sense of humor about it, and also, laughter does diffuse tension very, very well. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you're saying before the end of this episode, we can have a little chat about accepting my inevitable demise. <laughs> <laughs> because do i stay up late at night worrying about that sometimes? Yeah, I do. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, yeah, so like you were saying, the yeah the first zombie movies were like in the what sixties or seventies that were as- associated with the Cold War, and that just like in general, there tend to be like studies. There have actually been studies that have shown that you get more zombie stories coming out like during times of economic stress basically mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's like just sort of an allegory for like here's what happens when like all of our societal systems totally break down right so, 
Yes. And you can contrast that against vampires. So yeah. vampires are like, vampires nowadays are, are sexy. I mean, they've been sexy <laughs> yes. for a while. So, I mean, you have that sexiness factor, but you also mm -hmm. have a different type of fear that goes into them. So mm -hmm. it's still fear of death. It's still fear of the unknown. It's still, you know, that that spooky feeling. Yeah. But with zombies, you have contagion. And with vampires, you have penetration. So oh, no. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's not only a, a sexual element, of course. Yeah. There's also a cultural element of, you know, cultural penetration. So vampires are penetration from the outside. There's something that looks like us, mm -hmm. but does not behave like us and is uh -huh. trying to infiltrate us by penetration. Whoa. So this is like the idea of invasion or the idea of, you know, fifth columns where people are are trying to hide and fake themselves to sort of maintain that identity as one mm -hmm. of us, but they're really not and they're really dangerous. Whereas with zombies, you have people who are so far divorced from um, from our own culture that parts of them are falling off. You know, they're very, <laughs> very, very dead. Whereas vampires mm -hmm. are still mostly alive-ish. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This is like blowing my mind. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> it really is. Uh, I have to I have to say more about the book because I'm so excited for this. So it's Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please please share more. <laughs> so the title is Gender Supernatural Beings and the Liminality of Death, Monstrous Males, Fatal Females. Hmm. And we have everything in it. So Jay and I are co-editors and we um, have a chapter that we wrote together and I also wrote a separate chapter. And then we have uh, a dozen other authors who have uh, contributed chapters for it. And mm -hmm. we cover everything from cyborgs to haunted houses to um, Frankenstein and the various iterations of that to wow. a whole bunch of different like vampires were our most popular genres i think we have four different vampire chapters um, oh cool and it's gonna be fantastic i cannot wait to see it in uh in print it's just it's gorgeous and the authors did these these wonderful wonderful things and um it all works around this question of like what are the things we fear what are yeah. the things that attract us to that those things that we fear yeah and like where does gender go when you die so mm -hmm. what we looked at in our joint chapter on world war z is gender in both the zombies and in the survivors now okay I mentioned I really love the book. I really, really do. So what I'm going to say next is really critical. But keep in mind, I do love the book. It's brilliant. <laughs> you should definitely buy it. But he kind of forgets women. Oh. Yeah. There are 44 voices, as I mentioned. Only mm -hmm. six of them are women. Oh, no. And, like, they're just not there. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and like when they are there they're well characterized and they're interesting and they play starring roles but they're mm -hmm. overwhelmingly not there mm -hmm. so it's it's kind of problematic but then like we can switch back and talk about the gender of the zombies because this is interesting so when you think of zombies 
we don't generally tend to think about them in gendered terms. Right. Unless, of course, we have an attachment to a certain person who became a zombie or mm -hmm. to a certain zombie, as in newer movies and TV shows have done zombie romances. Yeah. <laughs> like um, Warm Bodies was a, a movie recently that did zombie romance. Yeah. Which, yeah. Like, and I presume that like I zombie show or whatever probably yep. has some aspect of that. <laughs> but there, you know, we don't outside of the sexual aspect, those particular sexual aspects, we don't generally think of zombies as gendered. Yeah. Yeah. And you see that in World War Z. Uh-huh. That unless they are part of a family unit or unless the character speaking has some sort of attachment to them, they're either neutral or they're coded, I'm going to say war male, not <laughs> like not male so much as dehumanize because this is a war. And when yeah, you dehumanize right. people in war, you give them male or masculine sounding names. So mm -hmm. in this case, it's, it's G or ghoul or Z or Zach or, um, you know, any of these things. So it's neutral mm -hmm. or it's male. Yeah. So do you guys have any, well, presumably you talk about it in the book, but like, do you have any, I guess, quick insight that you can share as to like why that is? <laughs> um, we do, but I mean, it's not really quick and it's not really clean, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I guess the, I shouldn't say quick. I should say like, yeah, just like, I don't know, the elevator speech version. I don't know. <laughs> so... When we are thinking about that idea of contagion, that idea of rot the, and decay and body parts falling off, mm -hmm. um, we have dehumanized it to the point where it has become an it. Yeah. So there's no, like, with vampires, you have exactly the opposite. You have sort of a concentration of the essence of the person. Mm-hmm. With zombies, on the other hand, there is no person left. There's no brain yeah. function left. There's no, yeah. you know, there's no personality there. And uh, gender is one of those things that's heavily personality dependent. As we all know mm -hmm. by now, gender mm -hmm. is performative. It's actions yeah. replayed over and over throughout our lives. And you can't do that if you're a shambling, brainless <laughs> ghoul. Yeah. Right. Paige, do you have any other questions about about sort of zombie origins or anything? I guess my one question would be, what would you say is your favorite zombie story, like movie or book or otherwise? Hmm. That's actually really interesting because <laughs> when asked, I often say I don't like horror. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um and oddly enough, liking something has never really been a prerequisite of analyzing it. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I don't think I've read much zombie fiction outside of World War Z. I, like, yeah. I bought the book. I read it. I said, oh, this is fascinating. And also, he forgot women. We yeah. should really write about this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's, that's it. That's all I've read. Um, okay. I watch more vampire movies than i okay. do zombie movies okay have i even watched a zombie movie i think my ex one of my ex-boyfriends made me watch that one with mila jovovich resident Whoa. evil oh yeah oh, okay <laughs> 
Yeah. Man, that's like, that one's pretty, that one's like a horror film for sure, yes. right? Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's gross. Yeah, well, I mean, the video games <laughs> are for sure, like, very much You're Right, right. Scary. I've, I've played the video games, but I don't think I've ever seen the movies. Yeah. Or movie. And see, this is the thing. I, I'm i a skeletal biologist for a reason. Human bodies are gross. <laughs> yes. Correct. <laughs> You are uh, not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's definitely like, uh, I mean, I just feel like it must, I mean, well, it makes sense that it, that they say that during like times of economic stress, there are more zombie things because it's like, wh- I don't know, the first year that Walking Dead came out was like, mm. can't have been that long after like the 2008, 2009 recession, if not mm-hmm. like around that time. Yeah. It, I would. I think it was around that time. Oh, I can say something about that, about the economic stress. Yeah. If you notice a lot of zombie settings are distinctly post-apocalyptic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they are that way because of the way that zombies reproduce themselves. They reproduce themselves en masse and they do it by using other human bodies. So there's there's this sense of uh, diminishing returns. There are Mm -hmm. only a certain number of zombies that can ever be made because there are Mm -hmm. only a certain number of people in the world. And the post-apocalyptic setting where like industry has broken down because there's nobody to run the factories and Mm -hmm. agriculture is broken down because the farmers are all, you know, chasing after people's brains now and like all of this (laughs) stuff. Yeah. Is it's scarcity. It's scarcity on the big screen. And yeah. It, it echoes that fear of never having enough, never having enough to eat, not yeah. being able to provide for yourself, not being able to provide for your family, yeah. not being able to do anything to keep them safe because mm-hmm. the circumstances are so far outside of your control. Mm-hmm. So one thing I've learned you know, through the years of being an anthropologist and through talking about this stuff a lot is that we put things on the page or we put things on the screen to show the things that we care about, to show the things that we want to see in life, but also to show the things that really terrify us mm-hmm. and to sort of make them into our stories so that maybe we can triumph. Maybe we can do better and save ourselves and feed the future. Yeah. Um, all zombie movies have survivors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you can see yourself as one of those survivors, even for the two hours you're watching the movie, then you can feel a little less bad about, you know, being laid off or furloughed <laughs> or, mm-hmm. you know, that miserable $600 check we all got after however many <laughs> months of not having enough. Right. <laughs> oof a doof. <laughs> uh, totally. <laughs> that just made me think like do i think i would be a survivor in a zombie movie and it's like mm, probably not <laughs> oh god no i'm disabled i would be food yeah. i would be food immediately <laughs> i was like i literally <laughs> i have too many too many things going on that i think would would screw me over i yeah. like to pretend i would be a survivor huh. uh-huh. but probably not i mean don't yeah. we all like that yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, I like to think that I would, but like realistically, you know, I have to take thyroid hormones every day, so like that probably wouldn't go great when those run out. Right. <laughs> so. I'm I'm on allergy pills and like 
without my allergy pills, I'm completely useless. Right. I wear glasses. <laughs> How many of us wear glasses? Yeah. Mm, well, yeah. Like, point. what happens when your glasses break? <laughs> what happens when the last optometrist has become a zombie? Like, oh, God. Oh, you're shit out of luck. <laughs> yep. 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 Yeah. Paige, you've, you've got enough. I don't know. You've got enough sass in you. You'd make it farther <laughs> than me for sure. <laughs> you wouldn't let if people push you around. If my dog didn't find a way to get me killed first. <laughs> yeah, well, if this, yeah, if this was some sort of zombie scenario where they relied on superhuman hearing, like you are fucked. <laughs> yeah, Elliot always says. My husband always says, um, if ever this happens, the dog's the first thing to go. <laughs> See, in this particular case, I would have much better time surviving as a vampire because, like, first of all, most of the vampire lore that we have, they don't over-reproduce. Yeah. And blood, unlike human flesh, is a renewable resource. Yeah. So, you know, most vampires are pretty self-contained. There's there's not a lot that is going to... Um, overtake a civilization when it comes to vampires. Yeah. I would make a really cute vampire. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> um, yeah, like, realistically, eventually, the zombies would just have to, like, <laughs> they would just have to go away because they would lose their food source eventually or, like, I don't know. Max Brooks actually... Um, approaches this in some of the discussions that happen in World War Z between mm -hmm. the person who's interviewing all of the survivors and the survivors themselves. They talk about like viability for how many humans you need left and like mm -hmm. what happens if there's another outbreak and how they can prevent that and all of the stuff that's super complicated because these things are just like overrunning the entire world. Mm -hmm. You can you can also see it as an analogy for climate change. Oh, no. Because, yep. <laughs> like, I mean, first of all, he, he addresses that in World War Z, where the permafrost yeah. is melting and revealing zombies that were, were frozen. Um, but also, uh, once you start with a zombie apocalypse, you, you can't stop it. There's no going back. And the amount of ways in which we've changed the planet might be our zombie apocalypse, like, we'll get to a point where it's too hot to live outside of the Arctic regions, or we'll get to a point where a lot of the land that we farm now will be underwater, or a lot of the cities that we have will be underwater. Mm -hmm. And you can, you can think of that as a direct analogy to being sort of consumed by the zombies. Got it. Oh my gosh. You do way cool research. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, in the interest of not being here all night because everybody <laughs> is very sleepy, we are going to try to do a little speed run through some real life zombie possibilities. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so we've kind of talked about zombies as like how they're they're cultural origins or anthropological origins but you also do biology so we definitely wanted to touch on I guess, real life <laughs> quote unquote real life zombies uh, <laughs> and one of the I guess first interesting people that I came across was a man named Dr. Stephen Schlossman who 
apparently gets called Dr. Zombie, but he is a Harvard Medical School professor and psychiatrist and was inspired by a late night viewing of Night of the Living Dead to write a fake medical paper. And eventually he wrote a book titled The Zombie Autopsies, Secret Notebooks from the Apocalypse, uh, which are about the physiology or the possible physiology of zombies. And I guess the book is written as if it is a journal from a neuroscientist and a zombie expert who is studying their neurobiology. So yeah, there's a lot of awesome zombie books is what I'm learning. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So there are some a few things that he, uh, I guess, decides are are necessary in terms of what's happening to people's brains when they and bodies when they become a zombie. So to make them more plausible, he assumes that the zombies are not the undead, like they haven't actually risen from the dead, but there is something physically wrong with them. They're ill with something. So something's taken over their brains. They're more, he phrases it as philosophically dead. <laughs> like they're not really there as the person they were anymore, but they haven't actually died. They're ill with something, which I guess is sort of more similar to the Haitian origins that we talked about a little. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So what needs to happen ne- neurologically to make a zombie? So he says that there are kind of three important parts of the brain that would be affected. So first, your cerebellum is a region of the brain that controls motor skills and coordination. So you've got to have something that's affecting that. So that's going to be where you get like the shambling around and difficulty walking and like maybe not so great balance. Um, Zombies are generally portrayed as like just being unthinking or some might say stupid or dumb, um, but basically only driven by that basic need to eat. And I guess sort of- Well, (laughs) (laughs) yes, (laughs) zombies (laughs) have that in common with zombies. Look, I have some really good cheese in the fridge, so. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) but like (laughs) you can describe them as impulsive, essentially. Uh, And so that implies that they've had some sort of damage or that there's some abnormality with their frontal lobe, which is what is responsible for higher cognition and regulates, I guess, what they would call our baser impulses. So, yeah, kind of makes you civilized, I guess. I don't know. Um. (laughs) Docile. Docile and controllable. Yes. (laughs) Uh, okay. And then zombies obviously have some anger issues and are violent. So that could be overexcited amygdala. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So these are little almond shaped regions of gray matter that are deep inside your brain. So it might be affecting that. Uh, and then I guess the insatiable hunger. So the need to just, you know, constantly eat and never stop is the hardest thing to explain by some sort of neurological thing that's happening. So your satiety or what tells you that your brain is full is controlled by something called the ventromedial hypothalamus. Sweet. 
(laughs) (laughs) And apparently uh, there are certain viruses or you can get lesions on it that can affect it. And people have said that maybe people can get um, have problems with it that have led to obesity. So, you know, not 100% sure on that. There's also a condition you can be born with where you just, uh, your appetite never shuts off. You can actually eat yourself to death. I've heard <gasps> of that before. It was a plot point on CSI back when I was a teenager. <gasps> I remember that episode. Oh, that was crazy. Oh, that's terrifying. Yep. Yeah. But also, I feel like I've made some pretty solid attempts. (laughs) (laughs) Not to make light of like what I'm sure is an awful disorder to have, but. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I think we all have those nights. I mean. Yeah. (laughs) I guess what we're learning is that I have a lot in common with zombies, apparently. Um, (laughs) Okay. And then the last sort of characteristic that he specifically addresses in, I guess, the article that I read was that zombies sort of walk around moaning all the time. And his medical, we're back to poop, you guys. Um, His medical explanation for that is that an all brain diet would be too much protein and basically no fiber for the human digestive system. So they're just super constipated. Okay. So I actually have a comment about this. Okay. You, me, me too, but you go first. <laughs> okay. Maybe it's the same comment. Um, I had actually written in the notes later on that like some – one of the sources that I read suggests that like zombies wouldn't even be able to poop anyway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no muscle motility, which is what lets you poop. But that's actually not the comment I was going to No. <laughs> But then, like, I'm really your sorry. Poop, your food, your brains just like ferment inside your tummy and then explode out your belly. That's basically what yeah. the article I read. It's just like eventually you just explode. That's what would yeah. happen. Uh, your any any bacteria left over would indeed rot whatever they ate um, if it wasn't in some way. Uh, used by their zombie bodies, which is another thing. Like, how does something with a metabolic, with no metabolic system, digest anything? But we can come back to that. Um, where I was going with this is brains are actually really, really high in cholesterol, which is, of oh. course, a a fat. It's a lipid. So, although you do have a lot of protein, it's more um, it's more fatty protein than it is dense protein like muscle fibers. So, I'm not sure okay. if it would result in constipation so much as uh, really <laughs> greasy. Yeah, I'm not going to finish that sentence. <laughs> I don't know. I've never eaten you're, brains myself. You're sort of learned. We had poor Sarah and Karen on for Roanoke, and we couldn't stop talking about cannibalism. And then poor Rebecca. (laughs) Poor Rebecca gets recommended to come on here, and we're coming back to just really gross stuff. But I guess inherently zombies are pretty gross. That's okay. I mean, this is nothing compared to what I do to my students every semester, which is like, oh, and they're due for this next week, actually. So excellent. um, we talk about uh, skeletal abnormalities in a considerable number of, of my classes because I teach biological anthropology. And mm-hmm. in the classes where we don't talk about skeletal abnormalities, we do talk about sex a lot. Mm-hmm. So I show them uh, skulls with tertiary syphilis lesions. Oh, no. 
And I'm like, you know, this is why you wear a condom, guys, because <laughs> syphilis has three stages. The first stage is the act of infection, where you feel like crap for a couple of weeks and it goes away. The second stage mm-hmm. is dormancy. And the third stage is it eats your face off. Mm, no. <laughs> Speaking of things that eat your face off. Oh. And we're back to zombies. We're back to zombies. Okay, so Dr. Steven Schlossman, Dr. Zombie. So the last thing he addresses in this book is what the heck disease do these zombies actually have? Mm. And so he argues that and he comes up with to yeah, he comes up with a fake one, like he invents a disease. So but it's yeah, we'll get on to possible real diseases, which really freaked me out writing it all down. But um <laughs> so he argues that all pandemics that we've had or most pandemics that we have had on earth have been the result of airborne pathogens and like oh my gosh don't we know it right now mm. um <laughs> good lord um <laughs> so you'd have to have some sort of airborne pathogen that makes you really hungry and reduces some of your higher brain function um, and I guess he proposes that potentially some sort of like there's not a lot of natural pathogens that would meet that requirement unless you had a really weird one. So he proposes that potentially there'd be like some sort of man-made pathogen that got out of control, which like I don't even know. Do they make man-made pathogens? Unclear. Um, <laughs> but now we're back around to my second disclosure that 100% I don't believe that coronavirus is is invented in a lab but no. <laughs> it was this very odd coincidence that in this New York Times article that he wrote he says that in his book he calls this fictional <laughs> zombification disease ataxic neurodegenerative satiety Defi- deficiency syndrome or ANSD and he proposes <laughs> that it may have been engineered by nefarious hedge fund managers in hopes that the stock market would plunge and become vulnerable to manipulations as chaos spread. <laughs> and I was like, no, it's fucking GameStop, right? Are you, are you <laughs> fucking with me? That's just like so. I'm not fucking wow. with you. <laughs> when, did you, when was this written? Uh, I don't actually know when the book was written. I will look that up right now because I just added it to my Amazon list because I don't own that and I really ought to. So I will take a look for you guys. 2012. Wow. There you go. (laughs) So not that long ago. Not not that long ago, but long enough ago that like game wasn't uh, the sorry I've GameStop. There we go. Wasn't yet a thing. What a bizarre coincidence. (laughs) It is. really bizarre coincidence to read today with like everything that's <laughs> right. been going on with the stock market the stock market the stock market <laughs> in the past week and the fact that we're in the middle of a global pandemic and i was like you cannot make this shit up i mean like apparently you can <laughs> because he did but like because he did, right. yeah um anyway but i guess he was on the show Coast to Coast AM talking about this and I guess a bunch of people listened to it and then sort of like freaked out about it like a la 
Orson Welles doing the radio <laughs> adaptation of War of the Worlds. Like, he got all these emails and, like, people were emailing his boss and stuff. So, yeah. So, apparently, he made a very convincing case for this, like, fake disease being an actual <laughs> disease turning people into zombies. Oh, his like, no. boss must love that. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's he, he works at Harvard, so... Academic freedom is a wonderful thing. I mean, yes. sometimes you're fielding <laughs> calls about zombification, and sometimes, like me, you're looking up dragon dildos on the school network. And... <laughs> or sometimes you're on a podcast talking about zombie poop. So, right, exactly. You know. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> so, fake disease that is oddly relevant to today uh, aside, there are some real-life diseases that could create quote-unquote zombies or that have, like, similar characteristics to how they manifest, where we might think, like, oh, this animal has some some zombie tendencies. So the first of these is rabies. Yay! <laughs> Which yay! Is, <laughs> I don't know why I said yay. Um <laughs> is spread through bites and because it's spread through bites and it's like pretty easy to isolate people and it's also like relatively slow to develop probably not gonna be the source of some sort of like pandemic level you know everyone loses their minds because of rabies thing unless it like really mutated into something else you know what's cool about rabies oh no (laughs) Do I, I want to know what's cool about rabies? <laughs> so because of that slow incubation time, mm-hmm. uh, that slow buildup, first of all, we have a vaccine. And you can yes. take the vaccine after you've been bitten. Yes. But if you don't, it is almost 100% fatal. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I think that's cool, but it's <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like we can prevent it, we can treat it really quickly, Mm-hmm. But, if, but you don't, you got, if you don't, you're dead. And there are very few things in this world like that. That is cool. Yes. Yeah. And it's great that there's a vaccine for it. And yeah, all that. So, you know, just just be careful out there in the world. But Absolutely. Either, either way, you could see how rabies um, animals behave unusually. It's something that can infect humans. It's something that's spread through bites. Um, Animals can behave violently in some cases. There's the whole like foaming at the mouth. And I think as it progresses, like, you know, other crazy things happen. And like, we've all been scarred for life by watching old yellers. So (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So rabies was one of those ones that gets brought up frequently as like, possible zombie source. But probably not going to work out (laughs) because (laughs) of that slow incubation time. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Tell us about zombie raccoons, Paige. (laughs) So yeah, another one is canine distemper in raccoons. And just a couple years ago, so it was 2018 in Ohio. And I think I looked up that it was 2019 in Chicago. um, So like two or so years ago, there were a bunch of news stories everywhere about these zombie raccoons. (laughs) And they were like, 
get up, when they have this canine distemper, they walk up on their hind legs and they kind of stagger and bare their teeth. And if I remember correctly, they uh, a lot of the articles I had read about it at the time, or like the warnings that they had sent out at the time, said that they were like super aggressive and would just like come run up to you. And they were telling people like, if you see them, stay away because like they will come at you. They also have discharge from the eyes and nose um, and then tremors and seizures. So once again, you know, if you saw a raccoon just (laughs) up on its hind legs walking around. (laughs) uh, It's not a zombie. It's just a seriously (laughs) ill raccoon. (laughs) Just a seriously ill raccoon. And I mean, as of right now, don't believe it can be spread to humans. Um, It would have to mutate. So basically, you know... You talked about COVID a little bit earlier, but now we want to say get your dogs vaccinated because... Distemper tr- sounds like a truly terrible way for your dog to die, so... Right, right. So take care of that. <laughs> so PSA. <laughs> Vaccinate your dogs. <laughs> Stay away from weird raccoons. <laughs> Vaccinate your dogs. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so those are two that, yeah, kind of make animals behave strangely, but would require, like, some serious mutation changes to the virus itself to, like, actually make it viable as, like, the source of some sort of zombie apocalypse in people. Another thing that you see in headlines are you see a lot of zombie ants. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So this is a parasitic fungi from the Ophiocordyceps genus, which I have no idea if I said that right, but here we are. And the spores of it are eaten by the ants, and then the fungus grows inside of them and releases chemicals that basically hijack the ant's central nervous system. So that way they are compelled to crawl up like onto taller pieces of vegetation and clamp down with their little mouths and die. And then the little fungus stalk grows grows out of them and spreads spores all over to the ants down below. So they eat it and then it reproduces. I think this is the one of all the things that we're going to talk about today that creeps me out the most. Yeah. (laughs) It is super creepy. (laughs) Um, so yeah so it's super cool it's like people are you know doing all sorts of cool studies as to like how do the i mean it must be just some sort of like neurotoxin or whatever they're releasing to get the ants to behave this way and it like it's just so bizarre because like fungus fungi aren't like sentient but like they somehow control the ants behavior and like it's just weird (laughs) It is. It's really super interesting. Um, so here I have to to give a shout out to one of my fellow anthropologists. Okay. Anna, Anna Lowenhaupt Singh wrote a book called The Mushroom at the End of the World. Okay. And she talks about the interconnectedness of uh, fungi and human beings. And it's not mind control interconnectedness. But it's very much this idea that uh, the ways in which we interact and the ways in which we um, we are entangled, that's her word, entanglement, mm-hmm. uh, the way we're entangled with things has um, 
both a cultural and a biological, and then also sort of a um, a biochemical mm-hmm. way of it. So it's first of all, it's a beautifully, beautifully written book. Excellent prose, just completely gorgeous. But also, it's fascinating when you're thinking about fungi as not being sentient. No, of course not. But <laughs> you know, there's always that but at the end of it. What mm-hmm. are we talking about when we talk about manipulation or entanglement mm-hmm. or the ways in which something influences something else? Yeah, the ants. You know, it doesn't have to be something conscious on the. Uh, on the side of the fungi, yeah, it's you know it's this massive geographic environmental coincidence, so to speak. Like they're in the same place, and they found something that spreads its spores correctly. Um, yeah, and it has massively awful side effects for the poor ants. But <laughs> yeah, but like I mean, fungus spore exploding out of your head doesn't seem uh, great. <laughs> and unfortunately, I think that that's the. Um, that's the main detriment to this being a potential for human zombification is our uh, any type of nerve agent, any type of central nervous system effect mm-hmm. is going to be much different, much more difficult to produce and regulate in something with brains of our complexity. Okay. Um, yeah. So you have something like the tetrodotoxin of the Caribbean zombies. And the the problem with that is like too little and it doesn't work Mm -hmm. too much. And the person actually dies because it's a toxin. (laughs) Right. So like either the people have to be really careful, you know, really gauged by weights and level of body fat and general overall nutrition and, you know, all of this stuff, or they end up with actually like actually dead people on their hands. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Legitimately like, dead, not just yes. undead. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And that was something that was pointed out on one of the podcasts I listened to, which I don't remember which one right now. But uh, one thing that was pointed out was that ants have an exoskeleton, mm-hmm. which sort of makes them a little bit more durable in these situations in terms of like continuing to like walk around and stuff while they're, you know, yep. bodies are being taken over by this parasitic fungus. Whereas, you know, people have, people are a little bit more fragile and we, we decay a little faster. So like, it wouldn't be great if we or we we went we might not last long enough basically for this to like become a huge huge widespread thing. We're distressingly squishy. <laughs> distressingly squishy. <laughs> oh man, I love that. Yeah, so this parasitic fungi though is the basis for a couple really popular zombie stories. So the video games, The Last of Us video games, it's based on the the zombies are like people that have been taken over by this fungus. And yeah, Paige, Paige has played it. And she can tell yeah, you great how game. scary. <laughs> <laughs> great how scary game. they are. I've watched my husband play terrifying. some of it. And I was like, no, this is too scary. <laughs> 
I have screamed playing that game. I have cried playing that game. It's a great game. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's supposed to, yeah, it's supposed to be great. But uh also apparently there's a book called The Girl with All the Gifts. And I yes. guess that is also um zombies via parasitic fungi. So there's a book and there's a movie. I have not um read or watched it but it was recommended to me by a server in one of my wonderful ro- local pubs <laughs> amazing so he saw the book i was reading which i think was world war z at the time and mm-hmm. he's like oh if you like zombies you should watch this movie I'm like there absolutely i'll get right on that and then totally forgot about it <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's zombie ants but again you know, I think there are a lot, like like Rebecca said, our brains are pretty complicated for something to take over like that. And also, we are <laughs> distressingly squishy, so. <laughs> I mean, Maybe even we- more so after <laughs> putrefaction, but like in yes. life, we're still distressingly squishy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Paige, you've got the All next righty. one. So yeah, the next one that we'll talk about is called toxoplasmosis. Ah. Um <laughs> and and this one's caused by the single-celled toxoplasma, and it's Gondia, Gondi? I think. I Gond- don't know. Well, we're doing it's something like that. Right. Uh, but it's Rebecca, a you're the biologist. <laughs> um, that one's outside my area of specialty. <laughs> you don't uh, know everything about biology. <laughs> don't I wish I'd get? Again, we're back to me getting paid better. So. <laughs> And this is a parasite. It's actually one of the world's most common parasites. And it spreads through things like cat feces. So if you um, – I believe this is the reason that they tell, like, pregnant women not to clean out the litter box. It is. Um, yep. And it comes from undercooked meat or contaminated water. And so the reason that this one um, sometimes can be, like, linked to the zombie idea is because it's – thought to be capable of changing behavior. Um, Some studies in rats have shown that when they're infected, they're less afraid of cats or can even be drawn to the smell of cat urine. So they're, you know, more likely to get eaten and then the parasite spreads to the cat. Again, I'm very uncomfortable with like sentient signal celled organisms. (laughs) (laughs) I know that's not how it works, but it makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) And then with people, so obviously people can get it, it spreads to almost all the organs in the body, including the skeletal muscles, heart, eyes, um, the lymph nodes before being cleared out uh, by your immune system and can often remain dormant in the brain or retina. So when it's, when humans are infected with it, um, there's some studies that have shown that people can have like a higher affinity for cats as well and are less bothered by the smell, smell of cat urine. A lot of times it sounds like humans are pretty symptomless. Um, it's, I have- it's literally crazy cat lady disease. <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> uh-oh. <laughs> um, yeah. But I also read a couple of sources that suggested um, that there may be a link between the parasite and some human behavioral changes, including schizophrenia, which like there were like several articles that had talked about this and then also a couple of sources that I read that suggested that these studies should really just be taken with a grain of salt and that there's no link that 
researchers are confident in between the that parasite and psychiatric disorders. So like maybe it could change the behavior of humans if they're infected, but like also probably not. We went over correlation <laughs> and causation in a, in one of my classes today. So I think a lot more scientific studies could benefit from somebody just like going through them with a fine tooth comb and checking for correlation and causation errors. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, that's kind of what these, these were suggesting was like, sure, you know, in some cases, people were both schizophrenic and they had this parasite, but that didn't, doesn't necessarily mean they're linked together right. in any way. Yeah. Okay. The next thing, which, <laughs> sorry, we want, there's a lot of things that people link to like possible zombie like behavior. So you're along for the ride now, Rebecca. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, the next thing are um, prion diseases or prion diseases? Prion like diseases. Prion diseases. Yep. Okay. So this is something that I was like, like when I learned about, because I think there were, a few cases where people had become infected from eating beef from cows that were sick with mad cow. And I remember there being like news stories about that when I was a kid. Back in the 90s. Yeah. Freaked me out. Like, I just, I've always been very worried about this. (laughs) (laughs) They've they've pretty much, um, they've pretty much got a handle on it. Mm -hmm. They've changed the cow feed processing techniques but there you know there's always a chance because of uh you know bad quality control um the most recent former president firing most of the regulators you know that type of thing Mm -hmm. so but really what it boils down to now is if you're not a zombie don't eat brains (laughs) fair enough (laughs) i like that that's a good rule brain brain uh tissue and spinal tissue and spinal fluid tissue or spinal fluid sorry is the main um method of transmission so prion diseases prions are misfolded proteins that occur in the brain but can also survive in the spinal fluid and so anything contaminated with spinal tissue spinal fluid or brain tissue can transmit a prion disease, which is why mm-hmm. it made its way into the meat, because the feed was using um, ground up uh, sick cows, all parts of them, the brain included. Gross. Yeah, mm. pretty nasty, actually. Yeah. Um, also, part of a plot point of Cloud Atlas, which I'm going to talk about on an entirely different podcast in two months. So Amazing. <laughs> stay tuned. <laughs> but yeah, so just don't don't eat brains and. Uh, I know they're a, a staple or a delicacy in a lot of different cultures, but mm-hmm. it's not safe. Okay. And prion diseases are a very, very bad way to go. And here's the interesting yeah. thing about prions. Heat doesn't destroy them. Yeah. So you can't like burn the corpse or burn the meat. Like You can't have your hamburger well done and avoid getting a prion disease. You'll just get a slightly well, more well-cooked prion. <laughs> Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> Just a toasty prion. Um, oh, I know. <laughs> that was what really got me when I was a kid. But I'm I'm glad to hear that regulations are 
getting this under control. Um, but yeah, so so there's Mad Cow, which you know most people know. But I mean, it's it's essentially just like turning your brain into a sponge, or like your your frontal lobe into a sponge. So they just, um, yeah, they just sort of eat through your brain or to, to form lesions on your brain and destroy brain cells. So it would not be great. Um, <laughs> chronic wasting disease uh, in deer is an example of one of these as far as or as far as I know. Uh, and then in people, the most common type is Creutzfeldt-Jakob's uh, disease, which some of the symptoms include a rapid onset of dementia-like symptoms, including decline in thinking and reasoning, involuntary muscle movements, difficulty walking, and mood changes. So, you know, sounds yep. a little like an angry shuffling zombie. <laughs> it does. <laughs> yeah. Only for um for a lot of Creutzfeldt Jakob patients, uh, the ambulatory symptoms are more like being confined to your bed. So yes, you just you just can't walk instead of you shamble, which is very interesting. Right. Um, right. When thinking of the zombie aspect of things, I also right. realized like during all of this, I've been nodding and you guys can't see it. Oh, <laughs> I do it all the time. That's all the time. <laughs> so yeah, we're just fine. nodding at each other. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> we're very supportive, you know, even in a silent way. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so anyway, that prion diseases really freak me out. So, don't eat um, brains. <laughs> don't eat brains, and probably that won't be a problem. And and there aren't any, you know, unless there was some really weird one that came around and turned people into zombies. Unlikely, because like you'd have to actually eat the people before you were sick. So unlikely. Um, but anyway, apparently it can be sporadic, like Quartzfield Jacob, like occurs for no reason in eighty five percent of cases. Yep. So. I hate that. Um, <laughs> it can be genetic, which is weird, um, or acquired. So in that case, you've like eaten Wait, some sort of infected. What meat. do you mean it can be sporadic? <laughs> so like, because it's it, a misfolding of the proteins, proteins are created by uh, your RNA reading your DNA and then being read to f themselves to um, create those proteins, to build those proteins out of amino acids. So if your RNA is damaged or if your DNA is damaged, you will code for a misfolded protein. And those two things, DNA damage and RNA damage, can happen spontaneously. Um, yeah, again, cool. Uh, <laughs> very cool, but also really not great. Like, we yeah. get a lot of... <laughs> We get a lot of uh, interesting mutations because of spontaneous um, yes. things. Yes. So there's a reason, Paige, that earlier I was texting you being like, I'm very uncomfortable <laughs> with all these diseases. <laughs> like, None of them me, are fun. This is all. This has given me a whole new slew of things to have anxiety about. So. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> like, for the most part, I'm cool with everything else we talked about. This one, though, is a life ruiner. Yes. Although, to be fair, it's <laughs> very rare. Like It is. Like one in a million people or something like that get it. So it's it's exceptionally rare. 
Well, so I probably am you'll be okay. Rare. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, if you start acting like a zombie, <laughs> we'll make sure we don't eat your brain. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I think we're on like the last major disease. So yay for yeah. us. <laughs> which disease. is also which is also well, okay, this one's also terrifying to me. So here we are. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's not <laughs> thinking about potential diseases that like might might turn into or somehow change to to become a zombie apocalypse. The apocalypse in humans, not great. <laughs> Somebody on Twitter the other day asked that if you could control either how you died or when you died, which would you pick? And I said when, or I'm sorry, I said how, um, okay. without question, because there are so many absolutely horrible and gross ways to die. I would pick dying in my sleep, even if it meant going tonight. Like, huh, yeah. All of the stuff we've talked about, this is not even scratching the surface of the ways there are that you can die horribly. <laughs> I think I'm still choosing when. You think? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because then I, I like... Then I still have so many things I want to do, you know? <laughs> yeah, but how doesn't mean you're going to necessarily die tomorrow. It just means when you do. But it means so I bad. could die tomorrow. If I choose when, then I definitely am not dying tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> this is how we know that Rebecca has made her peace with death. Right. <laughs> and we have not. I'm oh, not I ready. absolutely have. <laughs> You, you mean you don't you, you don't handle massive amounts of human skeletons and not make your peace with death. It's one of yeah. those things. Yeah, that I mean like... that's fair. <laughs> yeah, here you go, kids. Become a biological anthropologist. Study spooky things. Be okay with dying someday. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Page. So <laughs> this one is transmissible cancer. And it's it was proposed by a biologist, Dr. Lars Peterson, who was interviewed on the Haunted Talks podcast. So Tasmanian devils have a type of transmissible mouth cancer that is spread through bites. And it, it sounds like it um, it surfaces with like mouth sores and oozy goodness. Another way that, like, yeah, like I don't want to die of that. Right. Not great. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, importantly, transmissible only between other Tasmanian right. devils. <laughs> Tas ta well, do we know that the Tasmanian devil can't give me cancer? <laughs> the um, <laughs> the YouTube channel Animal Logic, which is hosted by Danielle Defoe, um, did an episode on Tasmanian devils and they're adorable and they screech and she did a whole segment on this cancer. So I'm I'm really curious to hear what you guys have to say after hearing what she had to say. Oh no. Oh no <laughs> oh, no, no, no no sorry I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to make that fraught. There, there's nothing fraught about that. I'm just like you're refreshing my memory because I am pretty tired and it was a while ago. So <laughs> so there's what's called um, the major histocompatibility histo complex, or MHC, which is a group of protein that's present on the surface of cells in the body that communicate with our immune system. 
For virtually all known cancers in the animal world, a person's immune system would recognize cancerous cells from another person as foreign because their MHC is different than someone else's. So my body would not recognize um, or they would recognize like a cancerous cell from Megan as a foreign cell. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like it wouldn't just like start to spread in my body. <laughs> right. And like the easier way to think about it too is like typically like your cancer, like it's made up of you. Right. So your, your own immune system has trouble fighting it and like allows it to grow uncontrolled because it doesn't know that it's not just you. Right. <laughs> Whereas like my immune system if you put some cancer from Paige in there, would be like, no, get out of right. here. It's just going to attack it <laughs> so. and it's not going to allow it to spread. <laughs> These cancer cells, though, in Tasmanian double, devils have a decreased expression of their MHC. So unlike what we just talked about, they're actually able to spread from one individual to another through bites and then it forms tumors. So I guess the question with this is if if this is possible, then why couldn't there also be some sort of transmissible type of brain cancer that developed in humans and targeted the frontal lobe? Ah, I have an answer to that. Oh. <laughs> and it has to do mostly with the blood-brain barrier. Okay. Um, so the blood-brain barrier is a wonderfully useful thing. It usually keeps out bad things and keeps in good things and keeps in your uh, your spinal fluid. The only way mm -hmm. to get something past it is to either be a substance that can get past it, certain drugs go through mm -hmm. the blood-brain barrier, etc., or to directly inject it into the spinal fluid or the um, cerebral fluid itself. And that's actually pretty darn difficult to do um, unless you're you know, operating a lumbar puncture needle. Um, in which case it's relatively easy to do depending on whether you know where to aim. But it's mm -hmm. it's one of those things where you would need to make, in order to keep the brain and spinal system intact long enough for the cancer to take hold, mm -hmm. you would need a very targeted delivery system that would be much, much more delicate and deliberate than a bite. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. So people would have to like develop some sort of like lobotomy appendage or something. Yes. <laughs> we we you, association with this thing. You would basically somebody would have to purposely give this to you. Yeah. Like the, they can't just walk up to you and like accidentally spit on, on you a little and it's bit. like, oh, now it's I over. have no. cancer. And the blood brain barrier is definitely um not permeable to things the size of cells. Cells are actually relatively large. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, that makes me feel a lot better. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> because I remember listening to that podcast and thinking, this is terrifying. <laughs> this is how I go. <laughs> going to happen. <laughs> so I'm glad to know that it's not possible. And also, I clearly don't know enough about human anatomy as a geologist <laughs> <laughs> i mean no reason for you to really so <laughs> right <laughs> so i guess sort of like the take-home message here at the end is yeah there are some diseases out there in the world that are real life 
that, you know, might make people behave in strange ways or, you know, cause some pretty distressing symptoms and everything. But in terms of like the TV zombies that we see, for the most part, there'd have to be like some sort of aspect of magic to the whole thing. <laughs> like just from the sense that like, you know, their flesh is literally falling off of them. And, you know, some of them are like reaching skeletal hands out to grab people. And it's like, well, you have no muscles to move your fingers. So. Exactly. No muscles, no metabolic <laughs> s- system. Oh my God, I can't talk. Right. Um, no actual functioning brain, no eyes in some cases, no working sense of smell. We have a lot of suspension of disbelief here, but the nice thing is that the good majority of zombie fiction has its own internal logic, and Mm -hmm. I find that as long as that logic holds, it's easy enough to suspend disbelief. Everything's working by the physics or metaphysics of whatever system Mm -hmm. you're using. Um, So as long as that's not violated, then whatever. Of course, things without metabolism can eat your brains out or, you know, things without (laughs) muscles can grab you and and pull you closer and give you that, that um, horrifically tainting bite. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's all. I have to say about the subject. Um, thank you so much for coming on here and chit chatting about so many things. Yeah, thank with you, us. Rebecca. Absolutely, <laughs> so my pleasure. Great. This was um, great. Yeah, and can you just like remind us again of the remind listeners again of the title of your book and 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 where they can find it or where they can find you if they want to get in touch with you or if you're comfortable with that or whatever. Absolutely. In <laughs> fact, I will give you all three books. Great. <laughs> So my first book is Desire in the Age of Robots and AI, an investigation in science fiction and fact. My second book is The Corseted Skeleton, a bioarchaeology of binding. And my third book, which will be out this March, which is co-edited with my editing partner, Jay Vanderveen, is Gender, Supernatural Beings, and the Liminality of Death, Monstrous Males, Fatal Females, out from Lexington Press, And it is, uh, you can find all of these on Amazon. You can find all of these on Amazon at my author page, which is amazon.com slash author slash Rebecca Gibson Bioanthro. You can find me on Twitter at rgibsongirl or on Facebook at facebook.com slash thecorsetedskeleton or by email, which is r gibson.archaeo at gmail.com. Awesome. And we will link to all of those in the show notes as well as on our website. So make it super easy to find you. Fabulous. (laughs) Which sounds creepy. Sorry. (laughs) Stalkers need not apply. Already have a few of those. Okay. Alrighty. Paige, you want to wrap us yep. up? <laughs> that wraps up our uh, zombie episode for this week. Thank you again, Rebecca, for joining us. We had a really good time. Join us next episode to talk about UFOs, revisit the videos from previous UFO episodes, and learn about Skyhub from Dr. Chris Cogswell. If you liked this episode, hit subscribe and share with a friend. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Spooky SciPod, Facebook at Spooky Science Sisters, and at our website, SpookySciencesisters.com. 
If you have any questions about previous topics or ideas for future episodes, email us at SpookyScienceSisters at gmail.com. As always, thanks for listening and stay spooky. This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at StraightUpStrange.com. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.